Yeah, that's great. Um, before we begin, can we have um, a piece of follow-up and a piece of follow-forward? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we can start with the follow-forward. Um, if you would be so kind, would you remind our listeners what is happening next week? You betcha. Uh, so next week at this time, Max and I will be uh, talking about and recording a conversation about uh, the, oh, now I'm forgetting, 1960 novel, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, written by Harper Lee, and it's an American classic, as we should all know. Um, yeah, talking about what the, the novel means to us in this current reading, um, how it finds us. Um, and we'll see if I uh, get to it, but uh, some timeliness for the listener. Uh, Harper Lee's second novel, um, which, from what I've read, she actually drafted before she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, um, was released on the 14th of this month. It's called Go Set a Watchman. Um, and it's drawn some attention for a variety of reasons that you may have already heard about. Um, but we might touch base on that, too, just to talk about um, <laughs> Harper Lee's not massive, but certainly um, important body of work, <laughs> such as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I have a lot of homework to do before we record next week. <laughs> Isn't it funny when it's a novel, it does feel more like homework, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially case, since, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's actually going to work out really well. Um, I should have a bunch of time this coming weekend. Um, Courtney is uh, helping various friends with some some uh, babysitting duties. So <laughs> going to have some, some free time. Me and the dogs are going to uh, read To Kill a Mockingbird. Very and good. I think they're both going to be very disappointed when they find out we're not actually killing any birds yeah yeah that'd be funny if every time you read the name of an animal you just yelled it so that they would have the the pleasure of reacting oh they love reacting to the names of animals (laughs) um so uh the other thing that i wanted to touch on before we actually get into the meat of the show is i do actually have a piece of follow-up uh in the form of a correction um, oh, some related, sure. <laughs> some related material. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, uh, I believe it was in our discussion of professionalism, uh, I talked about a tweet that um, I, I was reminded of by the whole conversation about people saying the term helicopter parents when what they're actually talking about is the reemergence of social class. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm looking right now, I think what I said was reassertion. Um, but in fact, the person who made the tweet, I didn't have it in front of me at the time and I should have, but the person who made the original tweet actually, um, listened far enough into the show to discover my error, um, and, uh, corrected us on Twitter about it, um, a few days ago. So it is Professor Timothy Burke, uh, professor of history at Swarthmore. Um, and he, uh, tweeted at the official account to, to correct us that it is reproduction of social class rather than the reassertion of social class. Hmm. Um, so I didn't give him proper credit at the time or get the terminology right, the right verb in there. But uh, anyhow, um, because he was nice enough to to reach out, I wanted to get that in. Um, I did link to the original tweet in our show notes that week. And just, just in case the listeners are not aware, feel free to correct us at any time. Um, oh, absolutely. The, the email, <laughs> Actually, the please tweets, do. <laughs> yeah, the email tweets, whatever, it's great. And, and if you reach out to do it, we will more than likely uh, acknowledge it in the show. For the most part, um, I regard... 
podcasting in general, and this podcast in particular is a very off-the-cuff conversational medium, um, so we're going to get a lot of it wrong, especially me. Um, and uh, so very often when I make an error like that, I am not going to correct myself. If you suspect I've made an error, I recommend you check our show notes and read whatever is in the link to whatever you think I've made an error about, and if it contradicts me, then rest assured I know that I was wrong because I look oh, yeah. all of those up after the fact. Um, so <laughs> just want to acknowledge that. Um, and I will, if I ever get something dramatically wrong, I will acknowledge it, um, you know, in a future episode. Um, mm-hmm. for the most part though, I think I generally have the, the plot right on most of these things. Sure. Sure. No, that's certainly much appreciated. I think, um, what we can hope for in a live conversation where we're drawing from not only sources that may or may not be in front of us, but memory, um, which can be problematic. Um, we hope for some some general broad strokes and some some impressionistic painting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yep. for sure, for sure. And and I mean, I think we accomplished that because, as you know, I am one of the greatest impressionist painters of the 18th century. Masterpieces. Every episode. Did I say 18th century? I wasn't probably listening. off by like a hundred years. I was ready to say masterpiece. Yeah, um, Nin- 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Water lilies. All right. Theme music. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled 12 Angry Coworkers. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 26. Uh, workspaces. Yeah. Oh, Monet's water lilies uh, were early 20th. Early, well, the water lilies were. What about Impressionism in general? Well, it could have been earlier, but I mean, if I'm thinking... Staples, staples of impressionism. Um, um, I, I don't. I think staples is water staples is office supplies. Um, uncontainable. It's a box. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Topics. Um, my husband has pointed out that one thing he notices is when podcasts stray really badly. Um, uh, so basically, he is constantly noticing our podcast. I know. <laughs> it's like love me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, topics. Um, yeah. So this was a topic that we had discussed before, and we, we have not aired conversations on this topic, correct? Uh, yes, we had one of the longest recorded episodes we have done that is, uh, as of yet and probably permanently unreleased, was on the topic of workspaces. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So what were you thinking about in your part? Uh, the, this time I'm going to try to avoid yelling racial epithets so we can actually release the episode. Good, good. I already forgot about that, so <laughs> totally no, I, uh, I glossed that's, over that's, that. Um, I, think, I think other audio problems were the main reason that uh, ultimately it didn't get released. That and, and you know, we were kind of still figuring stuff out. and Warming up. Uh, within two weeks of that, we had recorded two pretty darn good ones. Um, mm-hmm. That I actually tweeted about again today, because uh, this episode will mark six months of the podcast, so I uh, 
Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's crazy. So I've been I've been tweeting like uh, you know links back to the back to classics from <laughs> our early days. So I was thinking about um, several things. Uh, the main things I looked at were um, somewhat related to what was one of the staples of the unreleased episode that might be worth talking about, which is um, open plan offices and why if you like them you're dumb and bad. Um, <laughs> And uh, also related to some of the things we talked about um, more recently, like expectations and mm-hmm. um, what the role, what what the um, excuse me, what the uh, the effect of having certain affordances or a space that suggests certain kinds of uses and discourages others does to the roles we play when we're in them uh, and what we see as our possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and also uh, kind of related to the open plan thing. Um, one thing that that would be great follow up if we had actually released that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I was in an open plan office, and now I have a private office on the same floor. So um, I, I have kind of seen I have seen the other side. I've been through the looking glass, and uh, it is it is better over there. Um, which I think is what Aaron said to Moses when he got back from the promised land. It's better on the other side of the looking glass. I'll bet so. Um, are you saying it was better before, or you're better where you are? No, no, it's better now. I'm better. Okay, I was going to say. Now that I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and you can cut this out if it doesn't um, lend well. I couldn't refine the article that we that had started us talking before <laughs> the I letter, did. the company letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we were last talking about workspaces, we were talking about originally um, sort of sparked off of an article um, in the All that was a uh, <laughs> was a memo circulated by the editor in chief of Wired, um, named oh, Scott yes. Dadish, uh, sent to employees about their new San Francisco offices and his um, ridiculous over the top. Uh, OCD expectations for how they would uh, keep their desks neat and tidy and scrubbed free of any and all personal effects or memorabilia beyond uh-huh. the absolute bare and professional minimum. Right. The the tasteful images and, and not so much the, the junky personal artifacts like mm-hmm. action figures or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I think the key takeaway paragraph is unfortunately too often the place where we do that important work, looks at best like a dorm room. It's an embarrassment. Coffee stains on walls and countertops and desks, overflowing compost bins, abandoned drafts of stories and layouts, full of highly confidential content, day-old half-eaten food, and yes, I'm going to say it, action figures. Please. <laughs> Wired is no longer a pirate ship. It's the home of world-changing journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in another moment, he's saying, but how we treat our workplace is a manifestation of how seriously we take our work. Our workspace reflects who we are. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, maybe that's a good statement to sort of respond to. I mean, that line in particular, how you treat the, your workplace is a manifestation of how seriously you take your work. What does it mean to take a space seriously, though? You know, mm, sort of like right. professionalism. Like, what does it mean to be serious? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I um, I think if you're a 20th century architect, then to take a space seriously would be to furnish it only in a very minimalistic way that is in keeping with the um, concept sketches originally provided to the client uh, ahead of time, <laughs> and to do as little and be as little in the space as you can possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it remains pristine and gorgeous and can be appreciated as the work of art that it is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that, that whole sentence is worth, I, I just want to read it again. I encourage you to proudly display a few small items at your desk because our workspace reflects who we are. But. <laughs> <laughs> a few small, and the, he, the two examples of few small items he gives right before that are Photos of loved ones and mementos of personal accomplishment. In other words, like, I will accept photos of your family because I have to. And <laughs> you can put up mementos about accomplishments because right. that's work-related. Well, he said the word we proudly. We want you to be thinking about work. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Um, proudly display that's... a few small items. Right. Well, and I think this, is, this topic is a great bridge from last week because... A lot of the, I think, beef we have with this stuff is really similar. Um, Because even there, so the family stuff, yes, it's sort of a baseline value that we have humans that we care about. And that's something we would identify as important to our lives outside of work, like these people that we love and care about. Um, Mm -hmm. But that after that, the second sort of category is professional accomplishments, Um, that's a very sort of professional culture thing. You know, that's like in academia, mm-hmm. it's extremely common for people to hang their degrees on their office walls. Oh, um, totally. It's very much a cultural marker. Um, yeah. So it's just funny that it's like a thing that right. is, it, is it really personal if it's something that you would expect a professional to have? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like right. Then, well, the, it, yeah. Yeah, and he does say it, the the phrasing he uses there. I might have read it wrong. Is mementos of personal accomplishment, but I'm just reading into it based on the entire rest of this open letter. Oh yeah. That, uh, when he says mementos of personal accomplishment, he means you know the journalistic awards you've won or your cover stories or mm-hmm. what have you. You know the time you got to interview Bill Clinton. Right. You know I I don't think he means <laughs> personal when he says personal there. Um, I just get that feeling. Um, you know. <laughs> And it's, I, I, you know, some of this, some of this I'm on board with. Um, I like having a tidy desk. I like when the people around me have relatively tidy desks. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly can, can agree that overflowing compost bins and, and, you know, half eaten food and things like that, that needs to be taken care of. Although at the same time, like it's, you know, he brags in here that this is the West Coast headquarters of Condé Nast, which is a gigantic publishing empire. Mm-hmm. Um, even today, and the idea that nobody is duly charged with emptying those compost bins is a little bit weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and coffee stains on the walls. Yeah, that's kind of a problem, but, you know, things happen. <laughs> yeah, wild coffee fights. Mm-hmm. You've never been doing a coffee mm-hmm. fight at work? Uh, you know, not recently. I mean, couldn't describe the last incident in detail, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, but even there, I mean, you're talking about sort of, uh, like I wouldn't even call that etiquette because the way you're using tidy is you mean literally keeping trash sort of where it belongs. <laughs> I mean, at um, a minimum, yes, I would, I would mm-hmm. say that's a good place to start. Um, mm-hmm. and if it's where it belongs, again, he, he complains about the overflowing bins, like whose job is it to take the bins out? <laughs> um, and, and like, not that that, 
<clears throat> okay, we are all equal <laughs> in the eyes of of uh, the state, and work is good and pure and wonderful, and none of us are above taking out the compost. But, again, um, is he saying that it is the job of the editorial staff to take out the compost? Mm-hmm. Really? Condé Nast doesn't have office cleaners? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe everyone has their own at their desk if they want to, and those mm, don't get emptied be. or something like that. Yeah, that could be. Still, um, I've never, I've, I have literally never worked in an office, though, where anybody had to empty their own trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, and... Yeah, some of these things, I think we've... When we were talking before, we... We mentioned this. Some of these things are totally different categories from each other. Mm-hmm. Having, true. having food trash, food wrappers or whatever, is very different than having a proud display of action figures, you know, sort of clipped to the top of your uh, monitor or something like that. Those mm-hmm. are two very different things. And they serve very different purposes. Um, I mean, right. <laughs> for the trash, it allows that person to sort of be lazy and stay in their own little work zone. Um, but the action figures is something very different. Um, yeah. So when I was thinking about this stuff and I, I don't want this to bleed over into a conversation that we're planning on having, um, sometime soon about (laughs) Susan Cain's work quiet. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking a lot about, um, what it means to have your own space versus, um, a public or shared space and what that does for work. So maybe that would be a good thing to dive into. I'm looking through the, the pictures in this uh, coverage of... I forgot that it was wired, too, which is so funny. It's like, oh, yeah, I, you guys are I supposed luckily, to be groovy, I, you guys and gals. <laughs> I forgot his name, Scott Dadich's name, but I remember that it was wired. But unfortunately, um, the term wired means so many other things that googling wired you know office memo oh. didn't really get me <laughs> it still took a while to find it again but i did oh, in fact find it so yeah 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 mm-hmm. um no i think that's i think that's i think that's a good place to start um uh if i may i i actually found uh, an article on that very subject uh before we began uh, mm-hmm. would you mind if i read a headline in a couple paragraphs go for it all right. This is from Lindsay Kaufman, um, who uh, this is a uh, sort of an op-ed. I don't know if it was in the, the paper proper or just on their website, but it was published by the Washington Post um, December 30th of last year. Um, again, Lindsay Kaufman uh, works in an advertising agency and lives in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, <laughs> she wrote under the headline, Google got it wrong. The open office trend is destroying the workplace. Mm-hmm. Workplaces need more walls, not fewer. Uh, She opens by saying, A year ago, my boss announced that our large New York ad agency would be moving to an open office. After nine years as a senior writer, I was forced to trade in my private office for a seat at a long shared table. It felt like my boss had ripped off my clothes and left me standing in my skivvies. Our new modern Tribeca office was beautifully airy and yet remarkably oppressive. Nothing was private. On the first day, I took my seat at the table assigned to our creative department next to a nice woman who I suspect was an air horn in a former life. All day, there was constant shuffling, yelling, and laughing, along with loud music piped through the PA system. As an excessive water drinker, I feared my coworkers were tallying my frequent bathroom trips. At day's end, I bid adieu 
to the 12 pairs of eyes I felt judging my 5.04 p.m. departure time. I beelined to the Beats store to purchase their best noise-canceling headphones in an unmistakably visible neon blue. Hmm. Um, yeah, she, she gave <sighs> quite a few statistics and observations and... And yes, um, and having just made kind of the opposite transition. Now we the, the long open tables. Oh my gosh! Wow! What 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 an absolute productivity abortion! Um, shame on you if you if you think that's a good idea. First of all, dear listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, though, I I also just feel for her because I recently made the opposite transition, going from uh, at least low wall cubes to. Um, an office with a closing door. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely feel for somebody who's been where I am now for a long time and has to go the opposite direction. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, even even if you think it's going to help, I mean, that's a hell of a transition to make. You you give up a lot, whatever you think you're gaining, uh, which, by the way, you're wrong about, but mm-hmm. you give up a lot to get it. Man, the, the noise thing, um, is it okay if I jump in? Oh yeah, please by all means. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, ooh, <laughs> I'll, wow. I'll back up some of my anger in a moment. But <laughs> no, no, no. And you, you have firsthand experience, and I'm, I'm walking through my own experiences too. Some of them are uh, more short term and less consequential. Things like the way classrooms have been set up and my experiences and things like that. Um, I had a pretty, pretty cushy setup in in that term, in those terms, um, at the one. Uh, position that I cite the most on the podcast, um, which I can mm-hmm. talk about. What I'm drawn to most, though, thinking about this stuff and thinking about um, her experiences, is the sound, the issue of noise. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I I did an internship briefly um, at um, a publisher. I, I've mentioned this before. And I guess there for a brief time, um, I was sharing a table or sharing a workspace with another gal, but fortunately the the two spaces we worked in while I was there were both small enough that it wasn't as chaotic as it sounds. It's certainly not as chaotic as the, the 12 person table sounds. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, uh, you know, she said she went out right away and bought the awesome headphones. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about what it means to be put into such a big space. Cause really, if you want to have your own sound bubble, you have to create it. She would have mm-hmm. to do that. If you ever wanted to control what you're listening to. Um, right. And some of that stuff, especially for people, um, you know, further on the introversion side of the spectrum or people with anxiety. Um, or I would imagine people who need to focus on their work. Right. Ever? No. And I, I, you know, I'm, th- yeah, I'm throwing out categories. Um, yeah. Probably people with attention issues. Um, yeah. And generally. <laughs> or people, people who just need to pay attention to one thing that is not you, their coworker. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to throw everybody in, in like <laughs> listener in case you don't get it. Like, I think this would be a problem for you. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, she's a writer. She meant, you know, before, you know, I had been a senior writer just trying to think about mm-hmm. she has had that um, not just privacy, but the ability to control the noise around you. I'm thinking about the mm-hmm. different stages of writing where I really need different types of attention. You know, there's sometimes where 
I might have, I might choose to have music on, or I could be in a public space where there's lots of ambient noise going on. No problem. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I need to put in headphones with nothing on because I need to, you know, quietly talk to myself or something like that. She can't Mm -hmm. do that. You can't do that at a, at a raucous table, you know? No, no. The the other problem I have with it, um, especially thinking about the, the long table, um, model versus even low cube walls, um, versus full cubes versus offices. One of the reasons I dislike it is in fact, a very writerly reason. And this one, I mean, you're, you're certainly on the podcast. You're the extrovert. Um, we we Mm -hmm. can talk more in depth about how much you relate to various traits of extroversion when we, when we do get to the, (laughs) the long promised Susan Cain quiet episode. (laughs) Uh, but you know, even even with that that you know social inclination, I think from a writerly perspective, you can still say there is an awful lot of whatever your process is when you were doing anything creative, for which having arbitrary witnesses with whom you are acquainted is always going to be a detriment. Mm. You know, if anybody at any moment can look over your shoulder. Um, not just, you know, like say you're, you, you've mentioned before working with somebody in like a two person writing group, even if you two are in the physically in the same space, like you've chosen to sit down and write together, you know, to work together, to work in concert. It's Mm -hmm. okay if you happen to know what the other one's doing at any given moment, but is there a group, not, not just, you know, um, not just 12 random coworkers who happen to be in your department at the company you work for, but is there a group of 12 people in the world that you would want any of them to be able to see what you are working on at any moment mm. while you're working on it? I would find that tremendously disruptive and stifling personally. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of my process, even for the easiest stuff, where I, I don't want somebody watching me type an email for crying out loud. You know, mm-hmm. I could write a one paragraph, three sentence email on a not especially sensitive subject and whether or not I'm going to just type it out and hit send or do some wordsmithing on it and careful editing. I don't want anybody staring at that until it's ready to go out. Like that's nobody's business until I hit send and I'm going to write it more slowly and worse if somebody is. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm thinking even of, you know, there'll be times in a writing process where I need to go look something really random up. Um, mm-hmm. So if somebody walked by when I was, you know, Googling some random phrase or some reference to something, oh, right. totally. it might totally. look like I'm completely off task. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe I don't want, I don't want to deal with that. Maybe, maybe it never comes up, but maybe once a month somebody makes a passing comment to like, oh yeah, she was looking up some movie, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you might've noticed in my one story, there was a reference to whatever I was fact checking. Like that's an important part of the job. Um, right in this hypothetical writerly life that I have, (laughs) um, you know, like even just the, and I'm sure there's a term for it. Um, especially because so many, especially, um, tech and startup companies, um, go to these floor plans. Um, Mm -hmm. so I just, I can imagine. Yeah. It, it's, it's mind boggling. I mean, I was in, um, the, the job on which I have done the most, um, actual, according to Hoyle, programming, um, uh, I was in open plan then. I was, I was in, you know, in the management core there as well, but I was just at a bigger desk, you know, kind of out visible to everybody and people could walk up and see over my shoulder. And I mean, I was <clears throat> doing that work, um, as very much a neophyte at it. I was on Google constantly looking things up. Yeah. Um, 
you know, checking myself, looking up what different errors meant, um, looking to see if I, you know, trying to make sure I hadn't overlooked a really obvious command instead of this 200 lines of code I was trying to write. <laughs> um, <laughs> things like that. Uh, yeah, and I could tell you, it was a slower and more painful process, even though it was for work. And I had made people aware, like, I am working on this, you know, I'm doing this, I'm taking this script and I'm putting it into an application, I'm doing this thing so we can, you know, mm-hmm. automate these, this, this directory cleanup thing and yada, da, da, da. And it was, it, it still, it was a struggle knowing that there would be people kind of peeking and seeing what I was doing and mm-hmm. wondering, well, he spends a lot of time in what look like uh, internet forums over there. Is he talking about Star Wars with the other nerds? <laughs> was it because of your action figures? Is that how they knew? Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> What's that bear doing on Max's desk? <laughs> it's a Wookiee. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Well, and the other thing I'm thinking about, you know, besides the the stuff not having to do with you, um, you know, the coworker who walks by but doesn't say anything, but suddenly you're worrying about, um, you know, mm-hmm. what do they think you're working on? Is that going to impact your your currency in, in the company or whatever? Um, the number, <laughs> the ways that people are able to interrupt you, I think... Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's not defined by what your spaces are, um, but it's it's much easier in more open plans, I think, and a little more obvious in closed ones. So, like the um, my editing writing job, um, like I said, that was a pretty cushy setup there. Um, most of our facility was. Um, a very, very long, stretched-out rectangular space um, with shared offices with doors, closed doors, um, and sort of fogged glass windows um, all down the side of the facility that had windows. Um, Mm -hmm. So most people were uh, two people to a space, but everyone had their own desk and chair um, and maybe even a third extra chair. in those spaces. Um, sure. People would typically leave the doors most of the way open, um, but especially for us writerly types, like we've mentioned, um, or especially me, if I was alone in the office, um, if my uh, office mate didn't have the same hours as I did, um, sometimes I would close the door all the way and, and not feel terribly guilty about it. I'll often explain that if I'm going to shut the door all the way, um, that it is not a cultural thing. It's, you know, I know what I'm working on right now and I would, <laughs> I would do better with having my music on or whatever. Um, which means to be fair to everyone else outside of my office, I should shut the door. So I will say that would be like not being rude, just going to play my music. So come bug me, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you said come bug me, but it sounded like humbug me. <laughs> no humbug you if it's a humbug. Yeah. <laughs> Humbug you. Yeah. 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 I, um, yeah. Yuck. Uh, the closed door <laughs> thing is, is big. Like, interruptions. Uh, interruptions. <laughs> that would be like but, a whole, but, whole, whole but, episode of, mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I see what you did there. Yeah. Very clever. That was a very max thing. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to make a joke yeah, out of the thing we're talking about. I never do that. What are you talking never. about? Never. Listeners, if uh, I could show you my entire text history. Good Lord. 
but interruptions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we could we could make an entire episode out of out of interruptions as a topic, I think, and and maybe someday we will. Um, <clears throat> the thing about interruptions is, <laughs> this is I mentioned I mentioned before I said before that my anger, my my um, absolute loathing, um, my uh, my heavy handed language about uh, the awfulness of open plan and how wrong you are <laughs> if you think it's better. Um, interruptions is a good example of somewhere where there's, there's some good data on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've mentioned this before, but there's a, there is a, a hit you take in terms of your attention. Um, every time you switch contexts, every time you are working on one task and switch to another, mm-hmm. um, there is what's called a switching cost. Uh, it takes a moment to get your bearings on the new thing. And in the course of doing that and thinking about the new thing, the person who just walked up, the new thing that came in your email, whatever you're, you're looking at on your phone, whatever you switch to, you break some of the context of what you were doing before. So there's also a cost on the flip side when you come back from whatever interrupted you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I recognize that work is usually kind of a social thing. Uh, that if you work in a company, you are somewhat beholden to some of your colleagues and very definitely beholden to internal and external clients and your bosses. And people are going to interrupt you. It's going to happen. That's yeah. fine. But <laughs> the idea that we're going to get more creativity and collaboration if we facilitate a constant stream of minor trivial interruptions among people by putting them all face-to-face, basically, um, where they can, they're can they never out of earshot or eyeshot of 20 of their colleagues. Uh, and then on top of that, we're also going to be constantly interrupting them with letting them hear little incidental snippets of conversation all around them, mm-hmm. professional and not, and the noise of everyone else working. Uh, it's It's crazy to me that people think that does not have a dramatic cost. Um... Because it does, and I will link to plenty of expert testimony and research on this subject mm-hmm. in this week's show notes if anyone doubts it. But yes, every single time, I don't care what your disposition is. I don't care, introvert, extrovert, highly focused, uh, ADHD sufferer, whatever, whoever you are, however you like to work. Every time, every time you, and I'm, I mean you, listener, the <laughs> one listening right now, every time you put your attention that is on what you're working on, on something else, your phone the person standing over your cubicle, somebody talking down the hall, mm-hmm. anything else, you are incurring a cost and you are becoming mm-hmm. less efficient. You are losing time. You are losing attention. You are losing focus. You are more prone to errors and it will take longer to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> full stop. Full, full stop. Full stop. Um, and we might as well explicitly say it because you're right there. Um, multitasking is... Uh, for most intents and purposes, a myth, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what totally. you're talking about. People who believe totally. that they are doing more than one task at one time are actually, and maybe they really are better at switching from task to task very quickly, mm-hmm. but that's all you're doing. You are, right. you are um, careening very, very quickly among a number of tasks. Right. It's yeah. not like there, you are there processing. There are cases. Yeah. Right, and there are cases where that's appropriate. You can run and listen to music at the same time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And frankly, you can probably write and listen to music at the same time, depending on the music and depending on you. I mean, it's again, some of this is personal. Sure. Um, the key thing is, though, you can't, uh, you can't use the same part of your brain for the same thing at 
for, for more than one thing at the same time. Like you are, if you are trying to, and even if you seem to be succeeding, what you are doing is switching back and mm-hmm. forth very quickly. Right. And you might in that case, like you say, you may be better at that, but you're not good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not good with singing along to music with lyrics. Um, unless, unless, you know, this is like the song that you have heard the most in your entire life and you're not even mm-hmm. noticing you're singing along, you are probably not good at singing along to music with lyrics and also typing even just replies to routine emails. Yes. You are mm-hmm. slowing yourself down and probably singing much further off key than usual. <laughs> um, if you are doing that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the key thing I think to think about in terms of like, can I combine these two activities is you can't pay attention to two things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take in more of a gestalt, a gestalt of a scene, you know, you can get sort of an image of what is going on overall. Um, but you're not going to have a conversation or write an email. And if you've ever had a boss who does that almost every time you're in his office, and I have, oh, my God, um, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can't be done. Right. Um, you are screwing processing. both things up or slowing both things way down. Um, I, I don't have the researchers in front of me, but I mean, just the, the most basic of examples, uh, <laughs> it will, it will generally take you longer, um, to recite the alphabet and recite the numbers from one to 26 than it will be to intersperse them together, even just going in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be more than the cumulative time of the two because you have to think a little bit, right? You know, the time it takes you to say A, B, C, and so on all the way to Z, plus the time it takes you to say 1, 2, 3, all the way to 26, try alternating them. Mm-hmm. You will more than likely end up longer than the adding the two together, doing them, you know, one all the way through, followed by the other all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, widely documented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. costly, costly putting people in open plan, no matter who they are. Even if they want to schmooze all day. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I'm bitter. (laughs) Just very, very angry. (laughs) Twelve angry coworkers. Um, Mm. That famous story and movie. Um, Yeah, no, these are things I think about in my classrooms even. Um, Just having to remember that so not only will my students you know myself included when I'm a student when I'm in in similar situations um I'm forgetting the breakdown and maybe you'll remember you know my students if they are average human beings are only going to retain a certain percentage of what they hear and read and see um so of course I'm going to be giving them certain pieces of information over and over again um Mm-hmm. to help keep them at the forefront, keep those pieces of information at the forefront of everybody's minds. Um, you know, due dates and, and expectations and things like that. Um, right. But if I'm looking around and I notice that most of the students are taking a note, you know, they're writing something down based on what we've just talked about in conversation. Um, well, that tells me if I have, you know, a very, an, an, another very important announcement, um, but everyone is writing, I'm either going to um, interrupt that note or <laughs> um, not get my thing heard if I choose to say it right then, you know. Mm-hmm. So I could sure. say, I'll give you a second and then, you know, stand silently for another, you know, 20, 30 seconds while they finish, whatever. Um, 
Or I can say, okay, folks, we only have a minute. Everybody stop what you're doing. I'm very sorry. Listen to this thing. Okay, now finish your note. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> It would be unreasonable for me to expect that everyone can digest everything at once. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, and on this, on this subject of switching costs, and this could be again, something that we'd go to a whole nother multitasking themed episode, probably. Um, one of the articles, I'll probably link to this one if I can find it. Uh, but one of the articles that I, I've referenced before on this topic is, uh, I know Clifford Nash was one of the researchers quoted in it and there may have been others. So I'm not, I'm not positive that he was the one that does this, but one of the, one of the researchers, attention researchers in this article, um, you know, also taught college level classes mm-hmm. of various kinds, actually had a rule in his classroom that while you are in the classroom, um, it's not just like a no technology policy. A lot of, a lot of, you know, pretty much every professor has a no cell phones. Many, um, not a majority certain, but many have a no, no technology, like no laptop policy. He had a no object policy. <laughs> like you don't get to do anything while you're in my class including taking notes. Wow. Um, hmm. He would provide, if something, if something, you know, if you needed to know something that you might have written down, it would be available elsewhere, you know, and like he'd provide his lecture notes or, or an outline or what have you. And he, he had, by this time, and this was several years ago, by this time, I believe if memory serves, he was also podcasting his lectures. Wow. Um, hmm. So people could listen to them after the fact that they wanted to review. But while you're in class, he, he said, I don't want you... You know, I don't want you writing down what I just said and missing what I'm saying now. Huh. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I never, I've never had a class where I went about it that way. Well, actually, you know, um, not entirely true. The class that I just wrapped up, this accounting course I was taking, mm-hmm. um, I took as an online course and I did not take any notes at all during the lecture videos. Hmm. Um, for whatever reason, I, I didn't really even have a particular reason. I mean, I <laughs> mostly watched them on the bus, but I still could have managed it. But for whatever reason, just the way I was going through the courses, I would read from the textbook, I would take a few notes from there, and then I'd watch the videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have done a class like that, but mm. it was already kind of a weird situation. Um, I'm just but yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Point being, somebody who studies attention, who takes that so seriously that, um, you know. So some people are even crazier than me because I don't think I would do that if I were a professor. Yeah, no, I... If you think I'm militant about the attention stuff. Yeah, well, because I'm also thinking about not just attention but retention and and learning and practicing and Mm -hmm. mastering certain skills. Yeah. Um, I think it would be very hard to um, expect every student to digest it the same. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. It, because, I think getting back yeah. into personal differences is a good. You're, you're making a good point there. Mm-hmm. Right, because if not everybody digests as well without reiterating or capturing it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I would not. I don't know. I'd, uh, <laughs> I would not presume to say that um, some students would not be learning worse if they were not able to regurgitate and rearrange mm-hmm. and abbreviate whatever they're hearing on the page as they go. Yeah. Yeah. Process it in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to picture what a classroom where everyone was sitting still in that way would even look like. I, I would have to assume that, um, 
<laughs> it would look kind of weird. Uh, I would also have to assume, though, that it's a fairly participatory classroom. Although, if we're going to go into that, I see. I, I was picturing really lecture, though. Yeah. Well, and he, I mean, it's I. I think he definitely does lecture to an extent, but I would imagine. Um, I would imagine there's got to be a fair amount of of student involvement and discussion and mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, it would probably look super weird, and it would look a lot like people falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've I've never taken this class. So <laughs> Can tell you. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I just I I find it interesting, and it's you know going going back to uh, we can round back a little bit on the Wired article there. Um, I mentioned that I like I like some of what uh, what Dadich was saying about you know the tidiness and professionalism of of an office. I have very few personal effects at my desk. Um, what I have is also kind of weird. <laughs> I have Tom Peters' book and a couple of David Allen books and a Franklin Covey book and. Uh, <laughs> David Allen's getting things done workflow map laminated and stuck up on the wall. Um, you know, I also have a picture of Courtney and I from our wedding day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise I keep, I keep a remarkably clean desk. Um, when I was out in open office, I would get comments on it from sometimes from people who were admiring of it, often from people who were a little bit freaked out by it. Because. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I should have been busier than that. And where was all my stuff? And what was I doing? <laughs> um, and was this making their desk look bad? But, uh, but at the same time, I that you know, as as crazy as I am on the um, on the you know, you can't do two things at once. You're not better when you're being interrupted all the time. Um, as as militant as I am on that, one thing I will say is I do not know everything about how you individual unique snowflake work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be really presumptuous for me to say, as as did Dadich in that article, you know, that action figures on the desk aren't helping. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the custom neon sign on your wall of your cube isn't helping. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am I am not an expert on everyone's individual threshold for creativity and attention and um just the need to feel at home i mean that's the other thing here is we spend a lot of time at work Mm -hmm. uh way too much time not to be comfortable yeah Uh, well and some of this gets back to uh what i brought up last week um the piece of writing center scholarship about environment called cozy homes um mm -hmm. You know, and we talked about this before, there's that reference to, um, you know, the office space looking like a dorm room. Um, Mm -hmm. And while there is some currency to that term, because what we're picturing is probably um, the sort of negative stereotypical image of, you know, empty beer cans and dirty socks and trash everywhere, empty pizza boxes, whatever. Um, Inappropriate posters. Yeah, yeah. That are probably half falling off the wall, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, obnoxious like, music, like, a fan blowing, whatever. What were you gonna say? <laughs> it's gonna inappropriate posters, like you know, the water lilies, or a quote from Thoreau. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, you know, at the same time, though, there are <laughs> there are students whose dorm rooms look nothing like that, and they would be sort of equally appalled. Um, to be in somebody else's space if that's how they took care mm-hmm. of it or, or didn't yeah. take care of it. Um, yeah. But the idea that um, not everyone will be comfortable in the same space suggests to me that rather than um, an open concept, what would be 
more beneficial is, um, you know, some semi-private space built in for everyone if they wanted it, but then maybe some more flexible options, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think when we talk about things like wanting a collaborative workspace and encouraging communication, um, first of all, I do want to say one thing that's mentioned, um, I believe it's mentioned in the, the Washington Post piece I was talking about earlier by Lindsay Kaufman. Um, if not, I'll, I have another one that definitely mentions it. One of the reasons for a lot of this is cost. It is more expensive to have a building full of offices than it is to have a whole floor with a couple of offices, but mostly you know just big open bullpens. Yeah, um, cubes are cheaper than than offices and. You know, tables without cube walls are even cheaper still. Um, and I think a lot of the, oh, it's good for communication and collaboration and transparency, a lot of that I think is cover for cost um, and or managers wanting to monitor employee behavior. Um, but but even that being said, like if you, what you really care about is communication and transparency and, and collaboration, then make your office friendly to those things through having a collaborative workplace culture and providing spaces that people can go do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I shouldn't have to fight for room on the calendar in one of only three rooms shared by 150 people that have marker boards in them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's that's not a good <laughs> – it's not, not a good situation when, like, to actually go off and be collaborative, there's nowhere to do it. But in the name of collaboration, I am sitting in the lap of the person next to me and not able to get any privacy or think for more than five minutes without a distraction or interruption. Right, right. And, um, yeah, I'm thinking, too, you know, all of this is assuming that there are choices, and there often are at some level, um, you know, these are the things that we would hope for. Um, and for many reasons, these are these choices are not always available. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the sort of frustrating examples we're thinking of and that we can find so easily are um, some sort of administrator or leader or manager has made these decisions for a group. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a choice, but they did not consult with anyone. <laughs> right, um, right. I'm thinking about like even in the academic world, um, building remodelings that happen without talking to the actual faculty and students who use the spaces. Um, you know, it may be done by, by architects who have, um, experience with what happens at other places. But as we know, culture with any particular group of people can vary so widely. Mm -hmm. Um, like the logistics may be totally different. Um, they may think that an area might be best suited to have couches and chairs and low coffee tables in it. But if the work that happens in that space most often <laughs> would not be um, very well received in that furniture, then that furniture shouldn't go there, you know. And right. you, it would be hard to know that without talking to the people who use that space. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of spaces like the writing center too, and other academic spaces. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about flexibility. Um, so teaching semester to semester, um, I don't always have control over what classroom I get assigned to. Um, something that I sort of pine for, um, and maybe it's a grass is always greener thing. Um, from the K through 12 teaching world is the idea that most of those educators have their own designated classrooms. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, 
and sort of my creative crafty side just sort of freaks out at that idea that I would have a whole room that I can decorate and I can, <laughs> you know, I can put things that are important to my classes sure. on the wall. Yeah, every, every affordance, every wall, every surface becomes an opportunity to design a certain experience or reinforce certain things that you're trying to teach. Yeah, or even just the ability to showcase students' work, which sounds really silly. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, slapping the A-plus paper on the fridge at home so mom can see it or um, or putting up the picture that everyone drew a picture of, of self-portrait and whatever, you know. But the college writing equivalent of that. <laughs> um, you know, I would love that ability. That would be amazing. Um, and my office doesn't really lend itself to that. Um, sure. In fact, it would probably be a little weird if a student showed up for a meeting and they realized their work was hanging on my wall. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that would I be think very they, different. I think that would be a little odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do sort of pine for that affordance. Um, but at the very least, something I think a lot about is the furniture and the setup of these classrooms that I get. Um, there was one, I feel like, in, in our curmudgeonly way, we get in sometimes. Um, I think you'll appreciate this, Max. Um, last semester... Um, I shared the classroom. There were maybe four or five other classes that throughout the week used this one room. Um, I was the first class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, So the last class that would be in there before me would be the last Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, um, if that makes sense, Um, which I think happened to be... um, it was either a language arts course or a theater course, something like that. I think it was under the theater prefix. Um, mm. um, I'm not even sure what course in particular it was, but it seemed to be um, an active class at the very least because for the first week or so, um, every time I showed up Tuesday morning, um, the desks would be, I mean, it was tables. It was small tables that maybe could fit two or three chairs um, behind or around them. Um, and lots of them, this is maybe a, a 25 seat room or 30 seat room. Um, so you could really pack people in there, like quite a bit of furniture in this room, um, for the, for its size, certainly. Um, but I would come back in and everything would be slightly shifted. I don't think anything was ever in the, the exact same arrangement, um, which at first I had this grand notion that I would go in every morning and I would rearrange it to the way I wanted, which um, in previous classrooms, my ideal arrangement had been mostly circular, not quite. Sometimes it'd be more like a horseshoe, um, mm-hmm. but generally um, everyone sort of turned inward. You could see everyone. If we were having a discussion, it wouldn't be that hard to give your attention to anyone in the the room who would be talking. Nobody would have to turn all the way around to see who was talking, that sort of thing. Right. Um, So preferable to me for most things. Um, (laughs) That ambition pretty quickly faltered. Um, And it, it worked out anyway, because it, it turned out that, uh, enough days we were up and moving around in small groups anyway that students could rearrange furniture as they wanted. Um, But what started happening, though, was eventually the the instructor who taught after me on Tuesday mornings, um, no matter what condition we left the table and chairs in, and usually if things had moved during the class, Um, I might quickly or I might quickly ask the students to just sort of scooch things back toward the general direction they had been in 
Um, so not knowing what the, I don't think there was a sort of assigned, um, like, oh, the custodial staff would prefer that you leave the room this way. Um, I don't think we had a chart or anything. So I would just say, okay, well, let's put it back how we found it because somebody <laughs> wanted it that way because they left it that way, you know? So it's like, well, I don't care. So we'll just do that. Um, but eventually the instructor who taught after me, um, we had never spoken. We had sort of um, done small talk in the hallway and, and said, hello, oh, hope you have a good day, whatever, whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> this gentleman stopped me on the path one day, not even in our building, this building where we taught, but we crossed paths, you know, getting mail or something. And he stopped me and he said, oh, yes, and you teach before me, right? And I, I said, yeah, yeah, no, we've seen each other, yeah. Um, and he said, oh, okay, you, you can have your students put all the tables and chairs back the way they go. <laughs> I sort of looked at him, and I didn't understand if it was, I mean, it was just sort of a statement, but I was like, well, I mean, I could have them, like, put stuff in, in rows and stuff. I'm not sure if you're asking if I will or suggesting that I already do and you're thanking me. I don't really understand. Um, so I asked him to clarify and he basically said, well, he wanted um, my students to move the tables and chairs into these sort of straight rows, all facing forward um, the way he preferred them so that when he lectures, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's facing forward. They've, mm -hmm. you know, there's clear aisles and whatever, which was one of the configurations that sometimes the room was in when I found it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like if the theater class was canceled that day. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> No, or if they didn't need it, I don't know. Um, I could never divine a rhyme or reason. But again, it didn't really bug me, and it didn't really bug me for what I wanted to do, even though I, I thought initially it might. Um, but then I just thought it was funny. This professor was asking me to make my students change the space for his students um, mm -hmm. when we weren't moving it. So when I realized that's what he wanted, I sort of slowed down, and I explained. I was like, oh, well... I think you want to talk to, like, if this is an issue, like, I think you want to talk to the person ahead of me because I never change it. You know, after, right. after the first two class periods, I would leave it exactly as I found it. Um, and I'm, I would never ask my students to do something for another group of students like that. No, that's know. a little God, bit. Yeah. It's that's like, a no, little, if, it's a little crazy. If you and were, it would yeah. be, it would be mm -hmm. one thing if you were having the students move the desks for themselves, like for your class. Oh yeah. You know? Oh Yeah. That's a, I think that's a very basic, you know, a topic we probably don't have time today, but that relates to workspaces. That would be a basic, like, stewardship thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Leave the place at least as good as you find it. And that was my thing. Like, because I'm indifferent, I'm going to revert to at least I know what the person ahead of me wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I'm fine with that. Um, proactively moving it for the class after me. I couldn't see making my students do that. Right, right. That's that's yeah. That's a little bit of a little bit of a leap. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, have the people who are causing the problem do mm -hmm. the, make the make the change. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Spaces. All the things. Mm-hmm. Workspaces, space bars. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Okay. So what did we learn today, Katie? <laughs> uh, sound bubbles. They freaking matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, soundtracks would be another good another good topic. <laughs> um, um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I the thing that I was I've been thinking about um, as we talked throughout a couple of things I I think that are worth um, hitting upon before we leave. In summary, <laughs> mm. uh, I, you said something I think very powerful about how somebody made a decision. It's probably not you know in the case of a university, it's probably not the students and the professors. In the case of a business, it is probably not the line workers, but rather the managers um, mm-hmm. or even the owners. And that's something I, I believe I said when we recorded our unreleased version of this talk um, that I found bothersome about the entire thing is a lot of the people who will say <laughs> we want transparency and communication and collaboration are making that choice not for themselves but for people who work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're generally saying that for other people. They are not, you know, Eric Schmidt. Um, I, I haven't done any research on this. I might be entirely wrong. Eric Schmidt, though, former CEO of Google, um, probably did not have a desk or a chair rather at a long table with a bunch of engineers and creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably had an office, <laughs> you know, right. I would assume some number of other managers did as well. Um, Facebook and same thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mark Zuckerberg just has wheels up a chair to whatever table's handy and has an open space. <laughs> I bet Mark Zuckerberg has an office. Mm-hmm. I would just, I would bet. Facebook, I believe, uh, one of these articles mentions, has the longest, the, the largest open office space in North America. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, these are these are often choices. These yes are often choices made by other people for, um, for workers or students in your case. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess the one thing I would say is, is you know, if you are in that position to be making that choice, managers, uh, <laughs> very often. I understand somebody even bigger than you is actually making this choice and or you are constrained by things like budgets or space limitations. Um, but at least be honest about it and own what you're doing. You know, mm-hmm. let's let's not, you know, let's not let's call a spade a spade. This is not about communication and collaboration. There are lots of ways to encourage communication and collaboration. An open door policy is a much healthier way to do that than making sure nobody has any doors. Right. Um, if you are oh, doing wow. this... Yeah, or walls. If you're doing this because you need to see what everybody's doing, say so. You know, the the solution to not wanting to treat your employees like children and tell them the reason there are no doors or walls is so you can see what they're doing all the time and they can all see what each other are doing all the time. Um, it's very demeaning to tell them that, but if that's why you're doing it, own it. Right. You know, you are treating them like children even worse by not saying it. Right. Because everyone kind of knows. Yeah. Or having them worry about some non-existent problem, like, oh, people aren't, aren't working well together. People aren't acting like a team and communicating. So mm-hmm. that's why this is happening. Well, then oh, suddenly so you've, you've created a problem where there wasn't one. Right. And paranoia or worry or right. whatever. Right, right. You've, you've lowered people's opinion of their workplace and their colleagues and, you know, possibly made them paranoid and mm-hmm. probably are now encouraging them to all interrupt each other either, even more. Like, oh, we need to communicate, so I'm going to communicate now. <laughs> yep, I'm communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, da, 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 da. Communicating. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Beth, where are we going for lunch? Beth. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. 
That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. What did you learn today? Uh, I love my office. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so what do, you, what do you have on your desk at work? Mm. Or in, in your office, I guess, since you have you work in the classroom as well. But as we mm-hmm. just said, those are shared spaces. Yes. Um, I have a lamp um, because I don't care for my overhead light. Mm. Um. Trying to picture what else. Um, I have a sort of um, a wire rack standy uppy thingy that holds paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got some sort of active papers there, like copies of my syllabi and forms that I have to refer to often. Um, a cup of writing utensils and office supplies. A stapler. Oh, and I think I have a a smaller stack of books. I mean, they're standing upright, um, mm-hmm. but books sure. I'm using any given semester. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good sized desk. I'm quite happy with it. Um, is it is it typically clear aside from what you're working on? I do try to keep it that way. Yes, um, I have another little. I, and you'll sort of you'll probably scoff at this. Um, I've got a, it's actually a napkin holder. <laughs> um, uh, and I can't remember which one. I got a whole bunch of them. Um, I think some listeners will appreciate this. The bargain section at the front of Target. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. They had, and I, I'm a sucker for seasonal shit. Um, I got a bunch of fall and Thanksgiving themed napkin holders because a bunch of them were just like owls. They're shaped like owls. I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, mm. But I did because I think it's funny. I also got a bunch of turkeys too. <laughs> <laughs> but I use them. There's these little metal, you know, three-sided thingies. I use them mm-hmm. as bookends. And one of them on the desk is sort of my active inbox. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's also full of stuff that I could do at any time. And I just don't make myself do it. So it, sure. sit, it sits in the little turkey forever. It's mm-hmm. in turkey napkin purgatory. Sure. Well, I I really think Katie as uh, as a instructor at a prestigious Midwestern university that you need to cultivate a more cultured and professional image by not having owls and turkeys on your desk. Nah, nah. Opposite. It is my culture. <laughs> turkeys are my culture. Turkeys are your culture. <laughs> What's on your desk, Mister uh, Tidy Pants? I, I described it earlier. <laughs> Whole lot of nothing. Yeah. So are the whole lot of nothing. Well, and I I guess I can. You named a few. You named a few objects of affordances. I have uh, two monitors for my computer, a keyboard, a mouse, um, a phone, uh, the books that I already mentioned, an inbox, um, wood, black, matte paint, um, Mm -hmm. and typically uh, at any given time, I've I used to have a notepad out at all times. Now I've got, uh, as I mentioned a, a few episodes back, and using a paper organizer right now for my calendar and GTD stuff, and I've got that out. That's right. 
And then if I'm, you know, listening to a podcast, you know, my phone will be sitting there. Or if I'm working on our podcast, a computer will be sitting there mm-hmm. in addition to my work computer. Oh, and always a minimum of two beverages. Mmm. Double fisting. You betcha. Usually coffee and water, but sometimes tea and water. Um, yeah. Maybe an, maybe an Arnold Palmer. Well, let's not get too crazy. I'm talking about the workplace. <laughs> Fair enough. Save that for five o'clock. <laughs> it's Arnold. Hey Palmer boys, somewhere. it's Arnold, Arnold Palmer time. It's <laughs> hard. <laughs> hard to say. Ah, uh, boy. Okay. Well, I think that's probably good. <laughs> you keep doing. That. I do that in life too. <laughs>